Welcome to the Yam Yoon Podcast, where we analyze Agados from Shas. We analyze the concepts and the intertextuality from the Talmud with a rational metaphorical method. Please email me with comments or questions to rabbibailey at gmail.com. We are on Daf, Sam Chesam and Aleph in Gittin. We're on page 68a in Gittin, the tractate that talks about divorce. We begin our discussion of demons. So already we have questions. Why are we talking about demons? Why is this in the middle of what we call refuos of ancient remedies? And why is this in Meseches Gittin, Tractate of Divorce? Okay. Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon here. Okay. Uh, he appropriated for himself the Pasuk in Echa, Ecclesiastes 2.8, Bays Ches, he got himself Sharm and Sharos and human pleasures. Shida and Shidos. The Gemara explains Sharm and Sharos, these are types of musical instruments. And human pleasures, these are pools and bathhouses. Shida and Shidos here, meaning in Babel, Babylonia, they interpret this to be male demons and female demons. In the West, in Eretz Yisrael, they said these words are referring to carriages, fancy carriages. Amar B'yochanan, B'yochanan says, There were 300 types of shadim in, I guess the forest says Shechem, in a city called Shechem. And I don't know what the nature of a demon is itself. And the Meforshim say could be doesn't know what this supposed female demon is. So why is it Rabbi Yochanan is saying this Gemara? Is there a significance to three hundred to the city of Sichen or Shechen? Um, why do we talk about um, fancy carriages? Why do you have male and female demons? Why don't we just know about demons that go and uh, are hurtful to the world or scare people? Um, how do they relate to music and? King Solomon's bathhouses. Amamar, we said before, over here in Bavel, they interpret it in Babylonia, male demons and female demons. Why is it necessary for King Solomon to have male and female demons? Because it's written, the house, when it was being built, was built of stone, made ready at the quarry. And the rest of the Pusik says they did not put a hammer or an axe on it. You are not allowed to use metal implements to build the base of Megdash. So Shom Muhammad, King Solomon, said to the sages, How will I make it? They said there is a Shamir creature that Moshe, that Moses used for the stones on the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and it etched letters into the stones. Similarly, you're not supposed to use iron implements on the stones or other parts of the temple. So, King Solomon, go and find this shummer worm. So, one of the meta questions I have is the Gamoran Tumid talks about how they were actually allowed to use stones at the quarry site. So, it could be easily answered that they uh, used stones at the quarry site. Seems to be not just that they would hew and 
take out the stones, and then they had a problem of chiseling them at the site of the temple. It sounds like it's okay anytime, but there could be an answer that they were only allowed to, to, to take them out of the earth, um, extract them with metal, but they further had to do more work on them. Okay, so back to the story. So where is this Shomir worm or Shomir um, creature found? They said to him, bring a male and a male demon and a female demon and torment them together. I think, I think it should be translated as conquer them, rule over them together. It is possible that they know where they are and they will reveal it to you. So he brought a male demon and a female demon, captured them. And they said, we do not know where it is, but perhaps, da-da-da-da, Ashmedai, king of the demon, knows. King of the demons. So Shlomo HaMelech said to him, well, where is this Ashmedai fellow? They said to him, he's in such and such a mountain. What does he do there all day? Does he go out into the world and cause trouble? Well, he dug a pit for himself there and filled it with water, covers it with a boulder, and seals it with a special seal. That way, he knows if someone mess with it. Every day, he ascends to Shemaim, to the heavens, and studies in the heavenly study hall. Well, look at that. The king of the demons is a very studious man. And then, he descends to the earth and studies in the earthly study hall. More mundane, but... This is a very religious man, a very studious demon. And Ashmanai comes and checks his seal on the boulder to make sure his pit is hidden. He uncovers it and drinks from the water in the pit. And then he covers it and seals it again, and he goes about his merry way. So, um, King Solomon sent for Benayahu Benihoyada. He, at this time, I believe, was the head of the Sanhedrin, head of the court, and he was a general and an assassin. Very cool person. And he entrusted him. So my first question is, why him, and why didn't Shlomo go himself? If you take a look at other Agados, uh, such as uh, King David uh, King David, with it has the main protagonist going themselves. So it's not a, it, it's not unusual that the main person would go. So why does in Argamar here? Why does he send Benayahu? So he gave him a chain that had the sacred name of God carved into it, and a ring that had the sacred name of God carved into it, and fleeces of wool and wineskins of wine. What did he do? He dug a pit underneath. Ashmanai's pit, drained the water, plugged it up with the fleeces of wool. So Ashmanai's pit was empty, and he dug a pit up higher in the mountain slope and poured wine into that one, and he filled Ashmanai's pit with wine, and he plugged it up, and he sat up in a tree to wait for his trap. So Ashmanai comes back from his studious day. He's a great student, very knowledgeable. He came and checked his seal. He opened it, and he thought he would find his water, 
because no one messed with the seal. But it was filled with wine. He said, it is written, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is riotous. And whoever wallows in it is not wise. Remember, he studied in Shiva. Mm -hmm. It's also written that the first one was in Mishle, Proverbs. This is in Hosea, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away from the heart. He concluded, I will not drink this wine. He sat there. I do want to note here it talks about new wine. And at the beginning of this chapter on the previous page, uh, one type of new wine caused this uh, demonic spirit to come upon a person. So thus begins our connection. Uh, continues our Gomorrah. But Ashmedai became thirsty. He was unable to resist. And he drank, became intoxicated, and he fell asleep. So seizing the opportunity, Benayahu descended from the tree. He came and threw a chain around Ashmedai and then closed him. He awoke and struggled to remove the chain. Benayahu said to him, the name of your master is upon you. The name of your master is upon you. He did not wriggle free, and Benayahu was able to control him. So what did they begin to do? They began their strange trek to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem in the Holy Temple. When Benayahu took Ashmedai, they came towards the Jerusalem. He reached a palm tree, and Ashmedai rubbed against it and knocked it down. He reached a house and knocked it down. He reached a small shack belonging to a certain widow. Um, the widow came. The widow came out, and she begged him not to knocked the house over. He, he contracted his body away from her, and he broke one of his own bones. And that's, he said, that's the Pusuk, where it says in Michelin Proverbs, soft speech can break a bone. So let's pause here. I want to split this into three different um, sections. You know, we need, to, we need to fully understand what's going on here. So we need to understand, you know, what are demons and why is it that later in this Gomorrah, sorry to give it away, but later in this Gomorrah, it's a famous story, people have heard it, but Ashmedai is going to displace Shlomo HaMalach, displace King Solomon as ruler. But it never says that in the Tanakh. In the Nah, in the Jewish scriptures. So how are we to understand that this story has meaning, but it doesn't appear in the text? And do they really need this to hew the stones? Okay, so you need to understand what are demons. So even rationalist commentators and philosophers like Rambam acknowledge that, quote-unquote, angels exist. Um, demons exist. So, what is an angel? But you know, it doesn't really have an image. It only has an image because the prophet or the person that sees the message in his or her mind has to make a physical 
representation. So an angel having wings, it doesn't angel doesn't have wings. Angel is a malach is metaphysical causation from God. God is causing something through metaphysics, something we don't totally understand, but it exists within um, the spiritual realm without the physical realm. An angel has wings, it means there's movement. One foot, it means it doesn't have any righteousness that can change. It just has, um, it stays in its level of existence. So, malachim, angels are a positive causation, a desire from God, something should happen. Something's healed. Something is uh, saved, advanced. It's a more um, indirect causation in all the histalshlis and all the different causations. Um, so even Gavriel, you know, this destructive angel Gavriel, he's doing something good in the world, getting rid of bad, or what we call Soser Almanas Libnos, destroying something on condition to rebuild. So demons are what I would call the blanket term for the X factor of bad things in this world. Nothing exists aside from God, Eno Movado, there's no... Um, existence with the, away from God's strength. You want to get into black magic, listen to my second introduction to Shoftim series for the English audience downstream from religion or season three of the Seven Ways podcast, downstream from religion. So some people believe there's such a thing as black magic, but even so, God allows it to exist and sustains it. Um, but when we're talking about demons, demons is the catch-all term for things that are negative and destructive in this world. So when it says don't walk at night because there might be demons, it means it's dangerous. It could be people rob, people kidnap, God forbid. People fall down, people trip. Don't drink from a marsh. Gamora and Pesachim, I saw that the art scroll, I believe, brings down one of the Soloveitchiks, says that it could, it could even just be germs. Um, you don't know what you're drinking in a disgusting marsh. It could make you sick. It could be germs. It could be, um, you know, don't uh, walking under a rickety ladder. Um, all these things are a catch. Shadim is a catch-all term for those things that are destructive in the world. So the one that's missing I didn't mention is what's within a human, what we call the shadow in psychology. Obviously, I believe that the Torah, the original uh, Torah and sages have the idea better, but it's the dark side of a person. The, we're going to talk about the Yitzhar Tov and the Yitzhar Hara. So with, within a person, we could also say a person has their demons. This is the side of a person that has Nefesh Abahamus. It is the, the, the more animalistic side of a human that desires the physical, um, that gives into. Jealousy, one's physical pleasure, auditory pleasures. That is part of the physical world. And it's also just self-destructive. Emotional problems, especially, you know, sometimes someone is a victim, but emotional problems you don't deal with. You don't get rid of it. Uh, on top of that, addiction. Um, all these things are um, shadim, demons. And you could also argue, you know, I, I, I personally don't think little demons are running around the world, but if it's the flip side of angels, you know, 
God can cause, again, little destructions and negative things or big destructions um, in the world as a causation, as an impact. And in Hebrew, shodeid means to plunder. Shedai means it's enough. There's a limitation. There's a contract, contraction. Shadaim are mammary glands, the females nurturing, which would be the opposite, giving sustenance to a person so that they become independent and separate. That's the ideal. The ideal is Gevura um, with Chesed. Keep doing kindness so someone is independent. But you have Shodadim, you have plundering, the destruction. Ashmedai is the destroyer, the great destroyer. The great destroyer is in humans. In the more Nebuchadnezzar, in the guide to, for the perplexed, Rambam, Maimonides says, answering the question, how can it be that you know, bad things happen in this world? He gives three variations of an answer, but basically humans. Humans are causing bad. God doesn't just go around doing bad to people purely to test them. It's humans. And Beneho Benehoyada, Binyan, building, constructive. Okay? Take it a step further. What's going on here is this Gomorrah is being used as an explanation for what happened with Shlomo HaMelech, with King Solomon, when he went awry, did not do what he was supposed to do. And it's also a springboard for human psychology, personal advice about how to conquer the evil inclination, how to conquer one's desires. So just to be clear, not everything in this Gomorrah is critiquing King Solomon or something he did wrong. It's only some of the Gomorrah talks about that. But it is a springboard for all of human psychology. Talk about the Torah shadow, the Jewish version of the shadow that Carl Jung talked about in a you know mostly mostly different fashion, but in the same style. Lahavdil. So the shadow. And shade also, shadow, shade is the same uh, word. The darkness. And speaking of that, go back to uh Sichen. There are 300 types of demons in Sichen. Sichen was known to be a place full of pits in the ground. So you have darkness in the shadows, animals, kidnappers, germs falling in the pit, all of those things. And I'll, I'll get into three in, uh, three in a minute. But going back to the beginning of the Gemara. So King Solomon's mentioning he becomes king. He's meant to be the dominant head of the most dominant nation in the world, he decides to test his physical pleasures. That does not totally lead him astray. But what leads him astray is his rationale, is making a mistake with those three commandments that a king is supposed to make, and then with how he marries, how he relates to the opposite genders. So let's begin, build it up. So, go back. He had all these sort of pleasures. Music is auditory. Bathhouses and pools is physical, kinesthetic. And then he needs the das. The, um, that's a chachma, is auditory. Bina and physical das connecting to someone outside of himself. So as we will see, he married the daughter of Paro, and that goes awry. We're going to save that for the third part, probably. But male and female demons. Why? Do you need male and female demons? The most fundamental part of human psychology is the unit of man-woman, and there is a deep psychology about how 
a person relates to the opposite gender. We touched upon this in the Shoftim series, but the most, the smallest unit of a nation, the smallest link in the chain is the family, and what we call the subsystem, the strongest part of the hierarchy in family systems is the parents, the father and the mother. God willing, people get married. And if that doesn't go well, that's a ripple effect into the family, into society. Aside from the actual union of men and women, if men have a twisted view of women, that is destructive for society. And women having that relationship to men. If men are elevating women to worship them and to get into the indulgence of that, um, or socially awkward and have distance, this is a problem. Corruption of how a person relates to men and women. Carl Jung talked about anima and animus, lahavdil. I'm not agreeing with everything he said about that. And other people, you know, men and women have a male and female side. I don't really think so. We have our gender, but you have to understand Midrash and Kabbalah as metaphor too. When it says Malchus is feminine, it doesn't mean it's pink and it has a girl side to it. What it means is that it's a mushal, it's an analogy. Zachar and Nekiva, assertiveness and receiving. So men have this inclination, they need to go and take initiative, and they, but they sometimes still have to receive influence from others, from leadership, from religion. And women have a side that they're, mo they're very good at receiving energy and, and shooting it back, reflective. But sometimes they have to be assertive also. That's Zachar and Nekiva. Male and female, substance and form, you know, spoken about Kabbalah, Roshona Machronim. So fundamental to the human psychology, to the world we live in, is male and female. So the, init the initial part of this advice is, King Solomon, you need to get your basic um, Zohar Nekeva in order on all levels. And he does not have it in order. He does not go and marry an aristocratic woman from Levi or Dun or Yehuda, right? He's from Yehuda. He doesn't marry an aristocratic woman to match that up and to connect with them. But they're advising that. And we'll see in the third part how this is, is so damaging. Um, before we get any farther, we're going to deal with numbers a bit here. So there's 300 types of demons in a place called Sichon. So let's give basic midrashic interpretation of three, and then a Kabbalah, Kabbalistic one. In a basic sense, three is a chazaka, a status quo, and three, three legs on a chair, or more is steady, two is not steady. So the demon is taking hold on the city, um, and a hundred is a major completeness, a seven is a basic completeness, 10 is a significant completeness, and a hundred is a major completeness. So in this city, demons running wild. People's uh, Yitzhahara, tremendous problems. The evil inclination, the poor behavior, tremendous problems. And Sichen, Siach. Don't worry, Siach relates to speaking also. Speaking. Man is supposed to be speaking spirit, prayer, goodness. Um, but also nivel pad, degeneracy, speaking poorly, incantations, um, brainwashings and stuff. And speaking of that, in Kabbalah, three is the Teferis. And as I mentioned extensively in the Shoftim series, um, 
a lot of the occult is related to sort of the bad set of Teferis, the Amoria, the Teferis nation, and that is metaphor, the right brain thinking, the occult not being logical, being um, unhealthy, metaphorical, and imagery, iconology, the occult. So that's three, 300. Later on, we have a four, which will be Netzach. Um, so that is that, and carriages. Carriages has to do with kavod and honor. So you have the flip side of Bina is, is a Taiva, good intuition and, and not deeper knowledge. The opposite is physical pleasure. Auditory, the opposite of Chachma. There's Chachma and Keser, Gaiva, and Kavod. Right, so someone who um, listens to knowledge and is humble, Rashi says in the beginning of Chulin, he or she is, that's how you become wise, is being humble. But if, you all, if you're all about that honor, I'm so smart, I deserve the honor, that's the opposite. So Kina, Taiva, Kavod, Jealousy. Looking at the world beyond yourself and comparing. And the healthy side is Das, which will be the relationships theme here. And then so Kavod, Gaiva, Arrogance. So the Keser, a king is supposed to be right on the throne. Uh, the Sharia Aura says that just as all of the parts of a crown are, you know, melt uh, tightly around one's head, little pieces are tightly around the head makes a crown, so too the Pratim are tightly together for Kasser. So the the metaphor of all the spheros, the Kabbalistic emanations, um, is that when the world is created, there's spheros of Kalim. Uh, things are broken and we're meant to be putting them together. And the seven steps from Chesed, from that humanistic giving all the way to Malchus, kingship, kingship has Kesser. All the components are together. That's the carriage here, riding on the carriage. So King Solomon's dabbling in all the possibilities of humans and um, the body and the mind. When it comes to the idea that it's a fractured world we live in, and then we are supposed to put it together. So what does it mean, Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hara? So you have an Yetzir Tov, oh, I want to do good. That makes sense. You do good, it, uh, it's, more, it's an intellectual moral pursuit, and the feeling comes afterwards. Secondarily, but Yitzhahara, you know, when it comes to someone um, having children, that's a good thing. What, uh, number one, it's a commandment for Jewish men, at least, to have children. It's a some kind of commandment for everyone to dwell the world. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, it's wrapped up in Yitzhahara. Listen to this: Bracious Raba Tess Zion. Um, another, it's a Midrash 9, 7. Rabbi Nachman bar Shmuel, bar Nachman b'shem Rab Shmuel, bar Nachman Amar. Hine tov ma'od, it says in creation, behold, it was good. Zayetzer tov. Vehine tov ma'od, and behold, it was good. Zayetzer ra. This is the ra inclination, the bad inclination. Vehietzer ha-ra, tov ma'od asmaha. That is astounding. How could it be that the evil inclination is good? 
Ella rather Sheilule Yitzhara Lobana Adam Bayas will Nasisha. If it wasn't for the evil inclination, you would never build a house or marry a woman, below Holid or have any children, below Nasa or married. So because you want to outdo the Joneses, you will go and create a house. You want to have physical pleasure, you marry a woman. Men, man, why would a man ever have children? It's expensive. Because oh, Yitzhahara feels good. Yeah, go for it. Um, never get married. And that's what Shlomo HaMalach says. Kihi kinas ish Look at that. I saw all the to- toiling a person does in the world. It's jealousy for a friend. We're back to Shlomo, the expert. So the vav, v'hine tomod, and more. And I'm always looking for more. How can I keep up with the Joneses? How can I be jealous? So, I mean, the evil inclination is, is good. Is it that, you know, it's other religions, God forbid, oh, I'm... Gotta do something good, but there's some inappropriate pleasure that goes along with it. The answer is no. Ra, Tov and Ra, tied up together. Go from Midrash to Kabbalah. So, as I said, the world is a fractured place, and as we fix this world, that's called Tov. Straight up, Ramchal, Klak Pisrechachma, Leshem, other places. It is Tov, the good is to make Shlemus, completeness. Shlomo, Melech Shel Shlom Shlo. His success was when he was complete. So we're supposed to come here and complete this world, and that's called tov, good. Tov is not a moralistic phrase in this context. It is a descriptor. So hara, when something is ra, by definition, it's incomplete. And I'm going to take it a step further. It's something from the physical world that will decay and not last. Things that are commandments, spiritual, significant, it has nitzkis, it has a certain eternity to it, that for all times, this was an achievement. For all times, it is spiritual. For all times, it was a good deed. But hara, it goes away. So making children, getting married, doing these constructive things, they're good. But what comes along with it is pleasure, which is fleeting. What comes along with it is a building a physical world, physical house, which will eventually go away. It will be gone. That is the hara. It's not always causing evil, it is temporal to go along with that. So, if somebody wants to conquer their evil inclination, they have to get their male and female relationships right. The male-female relationship in their life, they got to get it right. People need to had to deal with Zachar Nakeba with giving and receiving, the fundamental building blocks, the circuits, the most basic circuits, and they have to go pursue the Shamir. We'll see what the Shamir metaphor is. But first, there needs to be an encounter with Ashmanai. There has to be an encounter before a person can go and fully subdue their personal evil inclination. They have to stop the destroyer. Okay, so look at this. What does it mean that Ashmadai is studying in heaven, studying on the earth. Is he a sage? Is he a sagely demon? The answer is this part is a metaphor for what's going on with Shlomo HaMalek, King Solomon. What was King Solomon's mistake? It was through rationale. What we call in 
Incorrect logic. Three commandments. A king should not have too many horses, women, money for his entourage. And Shlomo HaMelech did all three. He had a certain rationale that he can transgress those things, but he could not. And that is the metaphor here. So what does it mean you have hidden water? So I always say water here means Torah. And people always say water in, um, in the uh, Tanya is desire. And I think it's actually both here. They fit as a metaphor separately and even together. So King Solomon had his own rationale, hidden, and it had to be revealed. King Solomon had his own desires that he did, and he rationalized how to get there. And I'll take it a step further. I'm not necessarily saying this directly about Shlomo Melech. We will speak about his intentions. I think they're a bit different, but um, it says that Israel only wanted to worship idols to have inappropriate relations in public. What does that mean? So really, people want to get rid of religion because of they want to go with the whims of their heart, with their desires. And it says that extreme case because that's the highest level of debauchery that a person can get a high off of. But it's not a fulfilling high. It's a sinful, gross high. But that's why the example is used. But in general, it means getting rid of the law to do your desire. So here, King Solomon gets rid of the law. Perhaps it is so he can have a bigger harem and desire. But I believe that King Solomon's idea, if you look in the sentences and look in the Pesukim and um, Malachim, is that he, instead of being the tight-fisted king that rules the world, he wanted to do more, be more like a king of the UN, sort of. Instead of just being marrying Jewish and dominating everyone, he wanted to, yes, con convert other princesses from different nations, but just because they have a kosher conversion and they're Jewish doesn't mean it's a good match. They bring idolatry into his home. But I think he wanted to have a pan-rulership where he integrated with the nations in order to rule over them, but rather he should have just kept to the strict word of the law and been a tight to be a powerful king who was in charge of a tight pyramid um, kingdoms of the world. Israel on top and other nations at the bottom and then brought that utopia that way. But rather he rationalized to have a, those three laws in order to make it integrative, more of a, not necessarily democratic, but more of a civil international, international relationship. But this does not work. And... He gets tricked, Benayahu, the, the constructive. I think Benayahu is a metaphor for the constructive part of Shlomo HaMelech, the constructive part of a person who wants to do good, constructive part of us. And you see from here that um, the evil inclination is brutish, and you can trick him. <laughs> trick him to get him out of his natural habitat and conquer him. As I'm going to say in the Reish Lakish Gomorrah, that will be coming. Different episode with the cannibals. So the the, the chain, putting the chain onto Ashmedai with the sacred name of God. You know, if a person wants to be serious about conquering the evil inclination, subjugating it, using it, they have to have some morality. They have to use religious wisdom in order to approach that.
Okay, next step. So, isn't it interesting? Like, intellectually, Ashmodai knows he shouldn't drink alcohol, but then he does. So, first of all, you see from here that just because someone knows something intellectually does not mean that it's internalized. Okay? He did not internalize that knowledge. Um, second of all, he sat there for a long time and then he drank. He should have walked away. So people who have an addiction or a weakness, you know, there's food addiction and food overeating. There's alcoholism and there's sometimes drinking too much to damage oneself. So that all that comes from the Ashmadai, the inner shadow. Um, he shouldn't just hang out there by the alcohol. Don't be by where there's tempting fate. And what's interesting here is... Uh, new one can take away the heart, and that is what is discussed at the beginning of the chapter on the previous page, the beginning of this chapter, Kodokus. So Rambam says it's a seizure, but Rashi, others, a person is possessed by a demon if they drink fresh wine. I mean, either it means it's an excessive behavior, you're captured by a mood, Perhaps some sort of alcoholism. Maybe that maybe they, they used to drink wine and beer all the time. They could hardly find clean water in many places, especially the big cities. Maybe they were not disturbed drunkards unless they drank very fresh wine. And nowadays our wine is very weak, actually. Our alcohol is much weaker than theirs. And maybe it causes more of a mental disturbance. Um, nonetheless, I'm not going to say it's alcoholism if that's a stretch, but at least you see here that it relates to demons and wine. Um, and that's why I think the Ashmanai Gomorrah is in this chapter. This, you know, it, And it's in Gittin. Gittin talks about all those destructive, a lot of destructive components of a person. And Kedushin, next tractate, is the constructive component. So this Ashmadai is the ultimate destroyer. It's inside the, of man with a capital M. And all this section here talks about refuos, talks about um, the ancient remedies that a person could use. So um, either so so the question is those remedies, you know, um, they don't they don't seem to work anymore. So first of all, some of them are being researched and they do work. There's there's more information about turmeric and watercress and. Some things later seem to be about um, like low blood sugar. Um, but I am counting some of those refuos as part of my indexing for passages about Agatha. So that's 32, beginning of this parak, chapter 32, with all the healings. And then 33 is Ashmadai over here. It goes back to 32 afterwards. Um, I think some of these things could be metaphorical. You see chicken legs, and we'll see in our, in our passage, chicken legs, that very, has a lot to do with the occult. So um, it could be, as people say, nature has changed in 2,000 years. Rebecca Weinberg says that it might have been the wrong medicine, but God made it work because God is the healer, not totally science. It's a combination. Um, nonetheless, there is something agadaic about these healings, but at least in the middle of all the physical healings, it teaches you how to heal your evil inclination over here. Okay. And then and it's new wine. 
Okay, so uh, so when a person begins to get a hold of their um, base inclinations, it's a hurrah. They have you have to be careful because let's say you're feeling good and you have a spiritual experience and oh how could I do so many bad things again? I'll never do it. I'm doing so well. You have to be careful because if you have that leash too tight, you could hurt yourself. A soft voice breaks a bone. Or if you let that leash too long, over here, it knocks down houses and teepees. So when you're getting a handle on yourself, you have to make sure they have the right balance. And this is something I deal with my clients in psychotherapy. I think more people are paralyzed doing less and depressed that have negative self-talk, hard on themselves, than lazy. More people who are dysfunctional, hard on themselves, than purely lazy. I think people than lazy. People want to do things. And you have to be careful. You say something soft to yourself, you could hurt your emotions. Be strict. You could say something soft to your children, to a friend. It can break a bone. It can be destructive. Alright, that is thus ends our initial understanding of the, fir the first third it has to do with um, Shlomo Melech, King Solomon. We're going to save the little nugget about um, female demons for a little bit later. Thank you for listening to the Yami Yun podcast, Agados in Gitten. Please email me with questions, rabbi at rabbibailey.com, and hopefully more tractates later.